Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, you can't get fooled again. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? Ben Kissel here, hanging out with Fernando. Hi, Ben. And Travis Irvine. Hello, Ben. Today, we are honored to have with us. She is a lawyer. She is also an expert on gerrymandering and fighting voter suppression. She is the Ohio State Director of All on the Line, Katie Shanahan. Thank you so much for being on the show, Katie. Thanks for having me. So, Katie, the first topic, let's just get into it. It's broad. It's wide. It's redistricting. What (laughs) is redistricting? Redistricting is simply the redrawing of district boundaries to account for how populations have moved or shifted or changed over the last decade, which is information that we actually gather from the census that we take every 10 years. And we go through the redistricting process because it's required by the U.S. Constitution and because it's necessary for us to recalibrate all those district lines to ensure that all of our communities are adequately represented. We are all guaranteed proportional representation. So the idea of one person, one vote. Mm -hmm. And the way that you ensure that we get that is by counting every person who lives here and then spreading everybody out in about equally populated state legislative and congressional districts. So on the line with redistricting is your political power for the next decade. Right. And of course, when it comes to redistricting, you mentioned it's in the Constitution. And it is interesting that there are certain constitutional conservatives in this case who are you know, kind of against the reasonable, (laughs) uh, reasonable redistricting and gerrymandering. And of course, when it comes to the census, it is so important that you fill that out. Is there any way that you could talk to our audience, maybe someone who is one of these, uh, a member of a marginalized group? um, Can you give any sort of reassurance that if you fill out the census, Mm -hmm. the gazpacho place, as Marjorie Taylor (laughs) Greene refers to them, isn't going to come and knock down your door? Or is there a justification to be a little bit uh, in fear of giving up personal information? Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a both talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's to me, it's not neither or. There are absolutely understandable and justifiable reasons why any number of people have concerns about giving that type of information to the government, but particularly communities of color, refugee communities, Mm -hmm. immigrant communities, and especially because. Um, the prior administration was in charge of administering the census and the prior administration was abhorrent in its treatment of communities of color writ large. Why does the, for example, the citizen question, why did that send such a chilling effect when it comes to the census? Because there's a fear very justifiably that if you denote on your census card that you are not a citizen, that that information would be turned over to ICE, who could then come and enforce the laws about whether or not you are allowed to be here in this country. Now, let me just say very quickly that the census information is confidential and they also unpair you as an individual from your data points, right? Mm -hmm. And so they don't know that me, Katie Shanahan, is attached to the data that I filled out on my card, right? There's sort of unlink it. But then the Census Bureau staff, and I have to say, there's also a separation between the administrations who are in office and the career staff who actually make the Census Bureau function. Okay. The Census Bureau, everyone who's involved in the census actually signs a binding contract 
that that information that they collect is confidential for 72 years. So Hmm. you will not be alive when that census information becomes public. And even when it does, they never repair that information. So they Hmm. always unpair your personal information from the demographic sort of like 90,000 foot overview of like who you are as a person. Okay, well, that's actually very good to know. Thank you for sharing that, Katie. I had never heard that before. And hopefully that helps some people uh, who are hesitant. I mean, obviously we just had the census, so we got 10 more years to wait. But of course, I don't think that hesitancy will be going (laughs) away anytime soon. Sure, But still, I mean, the fears are incredibly justified. I mean, the prior administration made very clear, first and foremost, that they did not think that America should be a welcome home for diverse communities, for immigrant communities, for refugee communities, which of course is just an antithesis to what our country should actually be. Absolutely. Um, And so, but that was actually a part of their objective. So the prior administration actually proactively worked to undermine the census. And the reason for that was linked to redistricting because Mm. um, what Republican, and this is me personally speaking, um, (laughs) what Republicans know is that it's a numbers game in politics. And the reality is that America is an increasingly diverse country. And the days where we are a white majority country are numbered. And to me, that's great because our nation is made richer by the diversity of our communities. Um, And especially by the immigrants who have come to this country and given incredible contributions to our society. um, Absolutely. uh, Family included. I I mean, obviously, my father is a uh, he's a uh, first generation American. He's from Germany. I'm I'm, I'm a first generation. He's an immigrant, still not technically a U.S. citizen. So I tell my mother all the time she has a lot of power. She could leave him and he'll be deported right back. To Germany, and he'll have to get reaccustomed to that culture. Yeah, she could just wield that over him at any time. Um, but so, of course, a, a piece of this was to actually depress um, census turnout, for what it's worth, um, for lack of a better word, to affect the redistricting process. So, if you had undercounts in communities of color, that would show up then in how you redistricted. So if a state like Texas or Arizona or Colorado or Florida, whose population increases are almost entirely because of communities of color, if you undercount those communities, it means they will not see increased political power through redistricting. They linked those two things together. Mm -hmm. And that's why they undermined the census, the effectiveness of the census, and also added that citizenship question. It was very intentional to undermine the efficacy of the census, which was actually the first step in our redistricting fight, was getting a complete census um, so that we could ensure that the districts then were drawn to reflect everyone who lives here, whether you're a citizen or not. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it's like you know, trying to bake a cake, but if you don't have all the proper ingredients, it's just not going to turn out. So if you don't have the right data to base your entire scenario on, it's, it's flawed at the core. It's, it's, it's cancerous, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's infected. I also think the Republican party, I've said this before and conservatives and whatever, the left, whatever, we'll say that, um, people of color, uh, immigrant communities, they're not innately liberal. You know, if right. you look at a lot of communities that are, you know, rising up, the Hispanic community, a lot of Catholicism, there's mm-hmm. a lot of um, traditional values. And so what's also so bizarre to me is the Republican Party, specifically focusing on Ohio here, mm-hmm. is so worried that they're not going to be liked. And it's like, you should have some more self-esteem. Like, <laughs> sure. what is wrong with the idea of more people voting? Why do you think the poly- – and we'll get to gerrymandering in a second – but why mm-hmm. do you think the politicians – Specifically in Ohio, specifically the Republican Party, who are, hij- who are currently hijacking um, democracy. Why do you think that they think they can't get support from uh, from these new communities that are coming in that are the future that are here to stay? So you better start freaking courting them <laughs> if you want to have a political future. Because they really enjoy their status quo grips on power. Mm-hmm. Everything that they do is about maintaining power. And they have un- enjoyed largely unchecked control here in Ohio of every branch of government for almost my entire 30 plus year life. 
And but John Kasich has a show with Jordan Klepper now, so it's fine. It's Kasich <laughs> and Klepper. Don't you listen to that? No, a whole no episode bad. about Governor Kasich. Yeah, <laughs> please. Oh, we'll get, let's spill some tea on him in a second. Sure. But. Yikes. Um. Yeah. So they they enjoy having power, and the reality is that Ohioans actually broadly support policies that are not the ones that are being advanced by the Republicans in charge across right. the political spectrum. Issues like access to abortion, like gun violence prevention, like access to health care, like whether you are teaching students an accurate portrayal of American history in Mm -hmm. schools, all of these issues, whether it's expanding access to democracy, all of these issues, actually, Ohioans are united in how we would like to address them. Right. You wouldn't believe me if I told you any of those things, if all you knew of Ohio is the shitty laws that get passed out of our legislature, right? Right. Which don't actually reflect how Ohioans feel about any number of issues. So they also know that. Uh, There's a reason why they proactively work to dampen public engagement in the political process writ large. And it's because they understand the fundamental power of the people. And if the people actually had control over Mm -hmm. how our government works, which of course is how our democracy is supposed to function, Mm -hmm. they would lose. And if you're in power, your number one objective is to stay in power. So (sighs) they do everything to ensure that that's the case. Well, this is a good point, I think, to talk about all on the line and how uh, this group came about because you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. We've seen over the last few decades this process that should be bipartisan. It should be indifferent, independent. Mm-hmm. It's constitutionally mandated. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've you've gone into it. Each state, at the end of the day, once they get that census report, each state itself is responsible for dividing up its congressional districts and then also mm-hmm. dividing up its state house districts. So, right. uh, if you could talk about why all on the line got. Uh, founded because sure. I think it taps into that, and then, um, sure. and then, if you want to get into the reforms that were put in place sure. in 2015 and 2018 yes. to stop the gerrymandering of congressional and state sure. house districts, and then just for fun, Katie, put that all in a gerrymandering burrito squeeze in the gerrymandering definition as well again we're speaking with katie shanahan she is a lawyer and an expert on gerrymandering (laughs) and redistricting and again trying to save this democracy specifically in the state of ohio so katie thanks for being with us Thank you. So really quickly, um, all on the line, we are a grassroots advocacy campaign that's part of a national effort to restore fairness to our redistricting process and to end gerrymandering. Um, all on the line is a program affiliate of former Attorney General Eric Holder's National Democratic Redistricting Committee. And that's a mouthful, so I'll just call it NDRC for short. <laughs> NDRC was started um, by Attorney General Eric Holder and former President Obama in late 2016 with the understanding that from 2017 until 2021, we would have multiple different um, inflection points that we would need to take advantage of to ensure that we got fair maps across the country. That included the 2018 election, where here in Ohio, we elected the governor, the secretary of state, and the auditor, all of whom serve on the redistricting commission in charge of drawing our state legislative maps primarily, but also who play a part in our congressional redistricting process. 2018 was also an important year in Ohio because that's when we passed our second of two redistricting reform measures. In 2015, we passed our state legislative reform measure. In 2018, we passed our congressional redistricting reform measure, but also important in the 2018 election were state Supreme Court races. And Mm. Democrats won two state Supreme Court races um, to get two additional fair maps advocates on the state Supreme Court. And all that will be important. I'll talk about that in a second. The second inflection point was the 2020 census, right? Which we just talked about why that's important. Also in 2020, uh, there was a huge election, right? It was also important for us to elect state legislators who in Ohio were going to be in charge of drawing our congressional map in 2021. So the state legislators who we elected in 2020 are our map drawers. Um, So that was an important election for us to take part in. Mm. Then, of course, 2021 gives us the redistricting process. And that's sort of the end game, right? And the reason why redistricting is so important is because at the end of the day, 
The fight for fair maps is the fight for our ability to exercise the full power of our vote. And in America, there is no more important right than our right to vote, because your right to vote protects every other right you enjoy. It ensures that you have agency over your future, that you are able to steer the course of the government that is supposed to work for and serve you and your communities. I cannot possibly underscore how critically important the issue of redistricting is, because if you do not fix maps that are drawn in a gerrymandered way. So let me quickly define what gerrymandering is. Gerrymandering is a form of political cheating where you manipulate district boundaries to benefit one political party or group over the other. There are two types of gerrymandering. There's partisan gerrymandering where you benefit one political party over the other. There's also racial gerrymandering where you are using race as a predominant factor for how you're drawing maps Mm -hmm. in an effort to dilute the voting power of communities of color. Both are insidious and they are anti-democratic. And Everyone should be fighting against it. You're right to say that gerrymandering and the fight for democracy should not be a partisan issue. Right. Very unfortunately, it has been made a partisan issue because Republicans have a singular focus, and that is to, above all else, maintain their personal political power at the cost of our democracy and the interests of Ohioans. When Ohioans went to the ballot to actually overhaul how we actually draw our districts, Ohioans voted for those reform measures with margins of 70 to 75 percent. Wow. Ohio is not a 70 to 75 percent Democratic state, right? Right, right, Those were Democrats, Republicans, independents who came out to the ballot to say enough with the gerrymandering. We want fair maps that actually reflect how we vote. I will die on the hill that Ohio is not a red state. We Mm. are a purple state. You cannot see that through the haze of gerrymandering. So in the last decade, Ohioans have voted just 54% Republican. And yet Republicans enjoy 75% of our congressional delegation in the last decade and 70% of our state legislature. Again, not because they're winning that much of the vote. They have never won that margin of the vote, but because they gerrymandered our lines back in 2011 to ensure that they got those super majorities in seats that they did not win in votes. And because of that, um, the reason why this is so important is that in the last decade, Ohio has not made advancements on any number of issues because we we don't have a legislative body that actually reflects how Ohioans want issues to be addressed, right? We Our education standards nationally, our rankings nationally have tanked. Our economic stability and job access has tanked. We are regressing on taking action on climate change. We are finding new ways every day to ban abortion and block access to reproductive health care. We find new ways to attack the LGBTQ plus community and trans kids. None of those things are things that Ohioans actually want, need or support. Right. But it's what our gerrymandered legislators want. Well, and of course, it's all it's all part of the culture war politic that we live in now. I always want uh, I've said we need the Little Caesars Bigfoot redistricting plan. Everything to just be cut into squares, based it (laughs) out, based based it completely mathematically. And uh, and that should lead to some amount of fairness. Right. What do you think when it comes to the gerrymandered districts? What can be done from the perspective of the people now, because this doesn't get nearly enough conversation. Right. You know, everyone says one vote, one person, your vote matters. But let's be honest, in some districts, it just doesn't. And it's been formulated that way. So at this point now, you know, you talk about Ohio being a, a purple state. It's it's black and blue. It's got a black eye because uh, it's been beaten up so damn bad by these people who want to, uh, you know, hold power. But what can be done After they've done this to Mm -hmm. secure their power, how do you untie this knot? Well, it's a great question. So I also have to sort of update my numbers because we've just gone through the latest stage of our redistricting process this year. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, it's 2022 and we're still going through the redistricting process. It'll take Um, a second. (laughs) Um, Because um, litigants have actually been successful in... um, in getting the state Supreme Court to strike down our recently passed state legislative and congressional maps. So 
in the latest version of our congressional maps, um, Republicans would have 10 entirely safe seats of our 15 districts. Democrats would have just two entirely safe seats, and then there will be three toss-up districts. So at mm. most, the party who in the last decade has won 46% of our vote could only ever occupy 33% of our congressional delegation. Right. In the state house, they just passed maps last night, not even 24 hours ago, um, that are 99.7% identical to the last set of state legislative maps that were just struck down as unconstitutionally gerrymandered by the state Supreme Court two weeks ago. Those maps would provide Republicans an incredibly safe majority, if not supermajority, in both chambers. Again, not because they're winning a supermajority of the vote, but because mm -hmm. they have rigged the maps to give them those outsized grips on power. At this point of the redistricting phase, um, a lot of the work is now it tied up in litigation. So there have already been challenges, objections to the latest state legislative maps that were passed just last night. The congressional map that was passed a couple of weeks ago has been challenged in court too. So there is though still work that can be done. First and foremost, there's accountability work. There are seven people who sit on our redistricting commission who were responsible for drawing those two sets of maps. Wow, that's such it a small number of people. Small yeah. number. That's so, a, not even enough for a basketball team. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So it's the governor, Mike DeWine, the secretary of state, Frank LaRose, auditor, Keith Faber, Senate President Matt Huffman, the Speaker of the House, Bob Cup. So those are all five Republicans. So five of the seven people in charge of drawing our maps were Republican. Isn't there something innately, obviously, then two Democrat, but isn't there something innately flawed with having the politicians draw yeah. the redistricting and, 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 yes. and the uh, voting lines? I mean, this is why isn't there an independent committee that is doing this? Well, yeah, Katie. Yeah. I mean, because before this commission process, it was even worse in Ohio before that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, Katie, go ahead. Yeah. So what the reforms. Well, so first, let me say this. The, the more independent you make the redistricting process. So the further away from politicians you get in terms of who holds the pen to draw the maps, the more fair the process is and the right. fairer the maps are. Um, that's just a fact. We should all exist under redistricting processes that are independent and nonpartisan and do not have politicians drawing their own districts. Of course, Absolutely. Conflict of interest there. However, that's not the system that we had set up in Ohio, right? So we, like I said, we passed two reform measures in the last six years, seven years now, um, to overhaul our redistricting process. Now, while the legislature is still in charge of drawing our congressional maps, they were bound by a brand new set of rules about how they had to draw the maps and what the maps ultimately needed to look like. Um, that's also true. What were, what were some of those rules, if you could uh, just share? Yeah. So a lot of the rules had to do with protecting how often our communities are cracked apart. So, for example, I live in a neighborhood in northwestern Columbus. That's about a 10 minute drive from the state house. My current um, legislative district in the last 10 years um, is connected. It goes an hour north to Mansfield and an hour east to Zanesville. OK, now, the people who live in Mansfield and Zanesville are great. I do not have a lot in common with them. I live in an urban Columbus neighborhood. There is no reason why my neighborhood should be cracked apart from other surrounding communities mm. with whom I have a lot more in common, both in terms of political ideology, but also in interests than I do with folks who live in two very rural Republican parts of the state. The reason my district looks like that, though, is because Republicans wanted to come into my neighborhood, which is overwhelmingly Democratic, to crack it apart, to dilute the power of my vote and that of right. my neighbors. So a lot of the rules were geared at stopping that from happening. We want to keep our communities as whole as possible and root our districts in real places so that you're actually representing whole communities. The other most important rules that were in those reforms were anti-partisan gerrymandering rules. At the state legislative level, they were much stronger. Um, we are actually the only state in the country that requires what's called representational fairness in our state legislative districts. And what that means is, if you look at the last decade, you see how Republicans and Democrats have fared in terms of the votes that they've gotten. So like I said earlier, in the last decade, Ohio has voted 54% Republican, 
46% Democrat. Okay. What representational fairness requires is that your seat share in the legislature reflects that vote share from the last decade. Mm-hmm. So if you're a party that's only won 54% of the vote in the last decade, you should only be occupying about 54% of the seats. Similarly, if you've won 46% of the vote, you should be getting 46% of the seats. Um, That was an incredibly important provision for us to have gotten in that reform measure because the court could point to that and say, it literally says it right here in the Constitution. You got to match that proportion. And those numbers are 54-46. So the way that that breaks down in the House is that Democrats get at least 45 seats in the House and in the Senate, at least 15 seats, right? Right now, the Democrats have eight seats in the Senate and 35 in the House, right? So you're bumping them up by a lot um, to ensure that your seat share in the legislature is actually reflective of how you've gotten votes right. at the ballot box. A wild assertion for Absolutely. a democracy, right? <laughs> right? And of course, if you want, as you just pointed out, the evidence of uh, of redistricting and gerrymandering fraud is very easily depicted in those numbers. That is <laughs> yeah. a uh, that's a very simple formula to say, oh, yeah. something's not quite right here. Right. It's map. simple math. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, it is. Math, and yeah. let's not talk about math. I don't want to be yelled at by my dad. <laughs> <laughs> BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. But when it comes to people being disillusioned and pissed off with government, Mm -hmm. there's plenty of reasons to be upset. Of course. Truly, it's cliche, but gas prices are insane. Inflation is very real. This administration hasn't done great on a national level when it comes to economics. And then you have people of Ohio who are getting fed. um, They might be angry, you know, with the Democratic Party as a national as a whole. Right. Sure. Sure. And that can be very valid. Um, But now we have a situation where the Republicans are going to be fueling the anger and fueling the rage. But Mm -hmm. the alternative is not answering or helping when it comes to any of the concerns that the people have that are actually upset. Mm -hmm. So it really leads to people, working class Mm -hmm. folks like us, uh, Mm -hmm. where our backs are against the fucking wall. And it's like, what am I supposed to do now? Because I'm just getting screwed and raked over the coals from both sides at this point, even though obviously, again, on a local level, you can impact real change. So what would you tell people who are disillusioned and pissed off with the status quo coming from Washington. And then also they're dealing with another fight inside Mm -hmm. Ohio where it's like the Republicans are screwing them over Mm -hmm. and then they have no fucking alternative (laughs) because the Democratic Party has, for whatever reason, to some degree, failed to hold on to their power as well. So what I'll say is that, first of all, that that level of anger and disillusionment is understandable and it is absolutely justified. Um, It's also the express objective of the other side. The reason they gerrymander, the reason they work so hard to create discriminatory barriers to the ballot box so that even casting your vote is difficult has the express purpose of making you check out. Because they want you to stop fighting. If if and this is what I tell people: if you for a second think that your voice or your vote does not matter, think about how hard Mm -hmm. the other side works to silence you. That's a great point. If you did not have inherent power in collective action, they would not be working so hard to silence your voice at the ballot box or to do any of the other attacks that they have on small D democratic ideals, Mm -hmm. right? The other thing that I say often is that 
They have masterfully gotten us to think that all of our issues are siloed, disconnected issues. If, I've, if I'm somebody who works in the abortion space and I want to protect abortion, that is an entirely separate fight than if I'm fighting to take action on climate and to address mm-hmm. environmental issues. And that is an entirely separate issue than if I'm working on economic justice issues. And that's an entirely separate issue than if I'm working for um honesty and education. And the reality is- And that's an entirely separate issue that we all agree on to fill the damn pothole on my local street. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And the reality is that all of those are actually Mm -hmm. connected issues because again, and I'll say this until I'm blue in the face, at the center of all of those issues is the right to have agency over your future. Mm -hmm. Can your kids be taught an adequate portrayal of our history so that we don't make the same mistakes again? Can you have control to drive down your streets and know that if you call your elected official, they are accountable to you as their voter to fill your needs, whether it's literally filling a pothole or making sure your your kid's school has air conditioning and heating when it needs to, right? Mm -hmm. That is the same about whether I have literally the choice over my future about when or if to start a family. Mm -hmm. All of those are the same issue and all of them come together with redistricting. It's like the best umbrella issue to sort of raise this point that all of our struggles are actually the same struggle. And what gives us strength is actually de-siloing those fights and realizing that all of us together are actually stronger than our enemies, which is why, again, they work so hard to keep us separated, to keep you disengaged, right? Mm-hmm. They want you to not show up to the ballot. They want you to not fill out your census. They want you to not care about politics so that they can act with reckless abandon and you won't notice, right? They want you to not notice the fact that we as taxpayers are still paying for a dying coal plant in Indiana <laughs> thanks to HB6 and a $61 million bribery screen. Oh yeah, we've covered they that. They want you to not care about that, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you cared about that, they might lose their next election, right? right? If you had any agency over that power, if you could actually exercise the full power of their vote, they might lose and they don't like that prospect. So I would say that the anger is justified. The disillusionment is understandable. Of course you feel like that. That's the message you're getting in so many different ways that your vote doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I go out every single election day because for the last decade, my vote hasn't meant shit because I live in gerrymandered districts. Even the district where I'm actually represented by somebody of my own party, I know that my overall power is still stymied. Right. But I still show up because the day Mm. we stop showing up is the day they ultimately win. And Mm. I am not willing to let them win. Right. And our dedication has to outpace their objectives to undermine our ability to have control over our futures. The other point that that I want to highlight is something that you said, which is that there actually is an incredible amount of work that you can do at the local level, at the state and congressional level. Until we get fair maps, that is just not a place where we can advance interests. The local Ugh. level absolutely is. And people yeah. overlook the local level all the time. Well, you know what? Let's also, if we're defining terms, let's define yeah. local level then. Because often you think local, local state. The mo- what's the most local thing I can do right now if there's a if there's an election every year? What what what's an, a good, what's an example year. of a solid local election that people should pay attention to? Yes. Yeah, so most importantly, I'm just gonna repeat that. Every year is election year. I hate the term Mm. off-year election. There Mm. is no off-year when it comes to elections. Every year, you have the ability to vote for people who represent your, or should represent your interests. So if you live in a city with a city council, if you live in a county with a county council, if you live in a township with township trustees, if you live... um, The other thing that I will plug is judicial races. Everybody Mm -hmm. overlooks those judicial races, but they are so incredibly important. City prosecutors are important. County prosecutors Mm -hmm. are important. Who's getting charged for what crimes, right? Um, What accountability do you have over your local police department? Well, why don't you look at who does their contract work? Well, and here in Columbus, it's our city council, right? So those races become inherently more important. really drilling down into who makes decisions about the things you care most about and 
I will say this, that you're the more local you get, the more important the elections are because they have the most direct impact on your day-to-day life, the closer they are to your life. So yes, of course, presidential elections are incredibly important. Your city council race is infinitely more important than whoever is in the White House, right? Your Mm -hmm. state legislators are absolutely more important than presidential races. And yet state legislative races don't get the attention. Mm -hmm. Um, If they had, if they got the investment that we needed to, maybe we'd be in an entirely different boat in terms of what's happened in the last decade. Um, But again, closer you get to your to the local level, the more important the election. Do you think the oligarch uh, oligarch class when it comes to gerrymandering, redistricting, when it comes to the billionaire class, the Fox cons of the world, uh, emphasis on con. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, Scott Walker is one of the worst governors in Wisconsin history. I'm from Wisconsin originally, so I feel Ohio's pain. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm a Wisco boy. <laughs> and uh, Ron Johnson out of Wisconsin spent July 4th in Russia. Okay, he needs to be gone. <laughs> when it comes to the billionaire class, and when it comes to the economic class, uh, we were just were uh, discussing on the previous episode the CEO at the Applebee's uh, CEO the letter that he sent, basically saying higher gas prices means we can pay people less because they're going to be so desperate for work. It's a race to the bottom. It's absolutely disgusting. Mm-hmm. What do you think their role is when it comes to redistricting mm-hmm. and gerrymandering? Mm-hmm. They are obviously the ones pulling the strings. They're the puppet masters. Uh, Jim Jordan, all he does is cover up sex abuse trials and wears no jacket, <laughs> no and we're jacket. supposed to think he's one of us, right? But what do you think their role is when it comes to solidifying these Mm -hmm. redistricting uh, areas and gerrymandered areas? And we're just supposed to pretend like it's normal. I think that they have both explicit engagement and also complicit engagement in this Mm. process. Hmm. Um, Explicitly, if they are funding the campaigns of the politicians who are advancing these bad causes who they know will draw districts that keep their people in power. They're proactively and literally supporting that type of work by funding those campaigns. Um, They complicitly rubber stamp that behavior by refusing to call it out for what it is, which is a subversion of democracy and an undermining of the democratic ideals that should sustain us as a country. So, For example, when in 2015 and 2018, Ohioans were pushing those reform measures, those reform measures got bipartisan support. Both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party endorsed those issues. Mm -hmm. Organizations like the Chamber of Commerce, um, other very sort of like traditionally Republican interest groups got the stamp from Republicans to say, yes, these are things that you should support. And they did. What has the Chamber of Commerce's engagement been in this redistricting process to demand that our legislators and commission members actually live up to the letter and spirit of those reform measures? I haven't heard a peep. Now, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they're not having conversations, but Mm -hmm. they're also not sending people in to testify to demand fair maps. That's advocate groups who are doing that, right? Those are community organizations who are doing that. Those are labor unions who are doing that. Those are civil rights and voting rights groups who are doing that. It's not the business interests who claimed to support democracy in 2015 and 2018. Um, They're not the ones who are holding their own people to account, right? I work for an organization that was started by a Democratic Attorney General, Eric Holder. Republicans are not ever going to listen to anything I have to say because of that, right? Which is Mm. fine. That comes with the territory. They would listen to a chamber of commerce if they came in and Mm. said, "Uh, hey, yeah, this is actually not what the law requires. And also the Supreme Court told you four times not to do this. We should do better next time. Um, So there's a lot of complicit behavior, too, in not actually proactively engaging in what's going on to stop it. Yeah. And of course, they are the massive employers of the country and uh, the fact that they refuse to pay people a living wage and again, are taking advantage of the economic situation. It's just, again, a race to the bottom in this world of disfavorables being treated more as an indicator of success as opposed to favorables. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just the macro version of, you know, it's just such a everything is predicated on so much negativity and it makes Mm -hmm. politics, you know, if you're a good, you know, just a humble, normal working person. It's freaking nasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's all by it's all by design. Mm-hmm. 
Well, to, to counter that negativity, um, I, you've kind of done a, a snapshot. Obviously, the Ohio maps are still being litigated there in our yes. courts. But could you do a snapshot of the country right now in terms of the most positive reforms and victories you've seen for fair maps? And, yeah. And, you know, encounter it with yeah. The, yeah. the other battles that are still ongoing? Sure. So like I said earlier, the more independent your redistricting process, the better the outcome. Mm -hmm. um, a great example of that is Colorado's redistricting mm. process. Colorado was also a state in 2018 whose voters threw a ballot reform measure, overhauled how their redistricting processes worked. And they created actually independent commissions that did not have politicians on them. There was a screening process for candidates on that screening panel were three judges um, who were retired judges. Okay. And um, a lot of the work actually went into ensuring that there was a diverse applicant pool to ensure that there was representation from Colorado's diverse communities. I'm thinking especially about native tribes and mm. um, Latinx communities in Colorado. And um, that commission went through, man, when I recite back what it looks like, it's like a stab in the heart because I would have loved to have had this process in Ohio, but their process essentially was multiple rounds of public engagement opportunities where people mm -hmm. could come in and say, this is what my community needs in new districts. Um, also with virtual options, because we were doing this still in an ongoing pandemic. And that would be nice not to force people to come into person to right. hearings where some people don't wear masks. Um, so making accessible public hearings, they went all around the state. They had multiple public hearings outside of daytime work hours to ensure that they were accessible to as many people as possible. They had a public comment portal that you could send in comments if you couldn't come to those hearings. Then the map drawers took all those comments they drew draft maps and they had to issue a report explaining how their maps actually comported with what the public was telling them they wanted in their maps. And then they released those. They did another round of public input to say, here's what you got right. Here's what you didn't. Um, and their maps ultimately were signed off by the state Supreme Court. Um, all in all, a really stellar redistricting process because public engagement was front and center. There was transparency in map awesome. drawing. There were multiple rounds of sort of like going back to the drawing board, checking in with the people. What do you think? Um, and ultimately having the court be the final sign off to really give you another check of accountability on that process. Mm. And I love the I love the district they uh, they created that just looks like a big bong. <laughs> That's my favorite That's Colorado, Colorado district. Baby. That's the best part about Colorado. It. Well, so that is yeah. that is really uplifting uh, mm -hmm. to hear that Colorado was able to do that. So it's possible. These things are not impossible. Right. If humans have made impossible. the humans have created these uh, issues and humans can solve them. However, again, it's just really difficult for nonprofits, uh, for um, just average citizens to go against for-profit corporations sure. that are financing all of these people. Um, that are doing their bidding. But anyway, speaking of corrupt politicians, we mentioned this early on, John Kasich. Oh, yeah. the, the, the country is gone. At best, this country is center-right. That's just the way it is. It is what it is. Um, John Kasich is now seen as a moderate. We're living in a world where Mitt Romney is now basically left of center. Sure. Uh, again, it just is what it is. Can you talk a little bit about John Kasich and how he just spill some tea on him? Because I am so freaking pissed off at the revisionist history, whether it be Sean Spicer on Dancing with the Stars or Rudy Giuliani on The Masked Singer or whatever the hell it might be. This normalization of fucking mm -hmm. schmucks and criminals. John Kasich, why is he a piece of shit? Well, the thing that I will never not be mad at is John Kasich. Uh, well, let me back up um, <laughs> and start. Actually, of course, uh, she's pulled out an entire scroll yeah, of take as much time yeah, as you need. Katie, this is 2008, 2009. Yeah, um, is... <laughs> when we went through the Great Recession, as part of the stimulus package, the federal government awarded to Ohio hundreds of millions of dollars That's to right. construct passenger rail to connect. Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. And again, that money is already our money. That's already in the government's hands. That's our That's tax right. dollars. And any state who does not take federal funds is fucking stupid. <laughs> so well, there in you go. 2009, that money was offered to Ohio, uh, or in early, maybe 2010. 
Very unfortunately, Ted Strickland lost his reelection bid in 2010 and John Kasich was elected. And so he then got control over deciding whether or not to accept that passenger mm. rail funding. And oh he rejected it. Saying, Why? Why? The reasoning was, and this is, of course, um, a hypocritical position that some Republicans take, which is, oh, we don't we don't take handouts from the government. Now, oh of course, God. corporate welfare is the biggest welfare program in America. But OK, <laughs> right. well, and you also have to compare that to like any time, you know, an emergency strikes and they have no problem calling on FEMA to come in and like declare of course. a right. state of emergency to get federal funding there. But no matter, or the American Rescue Plan, for example, which plenty of Republicans are taking credit for, but none of right. them. Um, so that's one thing that I will literally never not be mad at. So if you were in San Francisco and you land at that airport and you take the uh, passenger uh, little train um, from Oakland into the city of mm. uh, San Francisco, that the BART train, that the was Martin. part of our train funding from Ohio. So I hope you enjoy that train. Wow. <laughs> it also went to Michigan. So there's like a fun little Ohio. Wow, I was wasted on there. San Francisco. God, <laughs> no, and Michigan. It's too cold um, in San Francisco. Yeah. So I will, there will never be a time. I'm driving on 71 that I am not at some point in that drive cursing John Kasich for saying <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, because now looking at that 11 years later, we could have a functioning passenger rail system. So fingers crossed that Amtrak delivers and that Ohio doesn't again turn away federal funding for passenger rail. Ohio is this like sad little hole that is completely disconnected from the rest of the country, despite the fact that like, I think, I don't know what the numbers are and have to like go look it up, but there's something like... If you're in Ohio, you're connected to like 80% of the U.S. population within like eight or six or eight hours or something yeah. um, with travel. It's just it's so stupid to see how completely disconnected we are, um, because, of course, we used to once invest entirely in passenger rail and then, you know, the car economy. So how off. did John so, Casey become? How How is he sort of trying to transition into this like nice, just moderate grandpa? You know, what's frustrating about that, of course, is that in his administration, first and foremost, in his eight years as governor, half of Ohio's abortion clinic shuttered because of the anti-abortion bills that he signed into law. Um, That was a top priority for him. Uh, And he was incredibly effective in that way. Mm. Um, He also shelled out an incredible amount of money to incredibly corrupt and dangerous charter school companies, um, which are for-profit companies that do not actually care about educating children, but instead care about making money and um, tanked our education rankings in the country. And we used to be like, I don't know, in the top third and now we're in the bottom third. That's the thing. I remember growing up in the Midwest, Wisconsin, we had many, I believe more per capita than any other state. And then something's happened. Every time I go back, the education system is worse. There's less colleges. Mm -hmm. Colleges are shrinking. And this stuff just doesn't happen on accident. And you wonder, is there a correlation between making sure your population is undereducated and staying in power? Oof. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty nefarious. It's very nefarious on every level. And it's really, I mean... Again, that's why yeah. I'm so happy you asked for the positivity question. And that's why all of these things can be changed. Right. Yes, that's right. Well, the other thing that I'll note about Governor Kasich's term when he was in office is that he, and this is something that's continued um, with subsequent administrations, he, and back to your question about like what can be done at a local level, he gutted something that's called the local government fund. The local right. government fund is state tax dollars. So again, that's our money. Yep. Um, that goes from the state budget to local governments to help cover the cost of running cities and towns. Sign repair, whatever. We were driving through South Carolina and every sign is down on the side. I mean, literally Mm -hmm. one out of three signs, like all of that. It's like, (laughs) please God, that's a job that you Mm -hmm. could have right there where someone can go fix that. That's right. So I think while he was in office, he cut the local government funds by about 50%. And that where did that money go? Where did that because you don't cut money, you take it. Where did that money go? So it goes to other programs that, of course, Republicans want to fund at the state level. Mm. Um, But that means so, for example, let me because I can tie everything into redistricting. Let me talk about why that's important for redistricting purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
One of the things that the Republicans have done really masterfully this year is run out the clock to force us to vote under at least one election cycle under gerrymandered maps. And part Mm. of that is by refusing to move back the primary date to ensure that we actually run a legitimate election after we have gotten fair maps. Um, Because of their refusal to move back the primary, uh, it is now March 29th. Early voting for the May 3rd primary starts on April 4th. We do not have districts yet. Um, and Secretary Frank LaRose, Secretary of State Frank LaRose just told federal court earlier this week, um, we literally cannot run the election on May 3rd with state legislative candidates on it. There is not enough time to print those ballots and get them out to people and mm. to actually do the back end administration of elections, Right. which necessitates the need of two primaries, one for non-districted races and then one for districted races. A second primary would cost 20 to $25 million. And do you know who pays most of the money for those elections? Local county boards of elections. The same county governments whose local government funds have been slashed in the last decade plus under governors like Kasich and DeWine. They literally cannot afford to administer two major elections, like two primaries in one year. Um, This is the richest freaking country in the world. And we can't have fair elections because we can't afford two primaries. Well, it's (laughs) because Republicans refuse to pass constitutional maps. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We shouldn't have even had two primaries in the first place. Right. Right. Yeah. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. So, okay. So I know what's happening in Ohio. Thank you, Katie. Thank you for painting that. I know kind of what's happening because of Republicans in Ohio. So my question is, is this, is what's happening with the redistricting and the gerrymandering, is this an issue with power or is this an issue with the Republicans? If we had Democrats in power and the Democratic, Mm -hmm. a true Democratic majority, Mm -hmm. would we see Democrats gerrymandering and redistricting yeah, do the Republicans benefit. just do it better, I guess. Uh, yeah. My question is, is <laughs> yeah. this an issue with power or is this an issue with basically, is there any party that we can have any faith in? Yeah. <laughs> the Dems have... Well, here's what I'll say is that um, redistricting is inherently about power. Gerrymandering is inherently about power. No matter who holds the pen, whether it's Democrats or Republicans, if you are gerrymandering, it's wrong. You should not be doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, I am consistent in that messaging. There are, yes, of course, examples of states that have redistricting processes controlled by Democrats um, where you have seen unfair maps come out. And that is as equally insulting and dangerous to our democracy as what you see here in Ohio. There are a couple of things about why sort of push back on this like both sides narrative, like, oh, well, Democrats do it too. Yes, they do. However, when you look at the national scale of who runs the redistricting processes and the level of the level of impact on the two parties, it's just not even a close race. Republicans have overwhelmingly the mm. upper hand in terms of just literal control over the redistricting process. And a part mm-hmm. of that is because they were really smart in 2010 and ran a program called Project Red Map, where they targeted um, races like governor, secretary of states, auditors, and state legislative races so that they could control the redistricting process in 2011. Mm-hmm. And of course, they were helped by the fact that any midterm election is always bad for the incumbent president's party. That's just sort of American history. Absolutely. Kind of, mm-hmm. Sort of swings like that. That, of course, was exacerbated in 2010 because we were still sort of in the midst of trying to come back from the recession. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I mean, 
you know, the national backlash of having a black president. So that's well, there was, I think yeah, that there was some, yeah, yeah, of course, I think yeah. there was some rational criticism of the Democratic Party when Obama lost thousands of state house seats across the country. I don't think people really understood how bad that is. No, uh, I mean, after uh, it was just unfortunate because, I mean, obviously, yeah. not to sound like the uh, white family from Get Out, but Obama would have won a third term. <laughs> if Obama was able to win, it would be like, shit show, shit show. Okay, thank you, Barack. We're, we'll, we'll be fine. Um, <laughs> right. But that really people didn't fully understand. It's like that is horrible when that happened. And so the the. Well, first of all, let me just say that if you're actually interested in reading about that 2011 redistricting process and the project red map and then how sort of masterful they were um, at sort of rigging the entire country mm-hmm. under gerrymandered maps because they really were very successful at doing that. Um, there and I'm actually happy. I'm sorry to push back and get to that in a second, but I'm happy you've said the word masterful and smart. One of the biggest mistakes people can make is, is thinking that, that people job? are stupid. George W. Bush is a genius. The man knew exactly what he was doing. He like Boris Johnson messes up his hair. I'm just like you. No, man, these people are fucking nefarious and they are not stupid. And yeah. uh, that is something that does have to be reminded, like no matter what Rachel Maddow says, oh, they're all so dumb. No, man, when it comes to politics, they got this shit on lock and it's very smart the way that they're doing it. And people need to, um, you know, pay attention to it. Anyway, go on. I agree. So anyways, the book that I will plug, it's um, called Rat Fucked. Um, it's, by <laughs> wow. um, it's an incredible book. It's literally the book on redistricting. It awesome. focuses specifically on the 2011 redistricting process. There's a whole chapter on Ohio. So even if you just read that, it's about 30 pages. It's a very quick read. I sort of rage read, read through it. So, it's <laughs> yeah. But it actually describes... Um, And again, I'll I'll say this. I mean, they're very smart in how they gerrymandered the maps in 2011. Essentially, what Republicans did is they drew maps where even if Democrats had a banner year like they did in 2008, so Democrats have never performed better than they did in 2008 when Obama was on the ticket. Even if you had that banner level of Democratic performance, if your districts and how you drew them could still be Republican, even under those numbers, you knew it was safe. And that's how they drew the districts. So there was literally no swing across the decade. They drew incredibly smart, strong gerrymandered districts. So in Ohio, for example, despite the fact, again, that we vote 54-46 Republican Democrat, our congressional delegation has been 75% Republican, 25% Democratic the entire decade. That has never changed. 12-4 every single time. And that's on purpose, right? Like the closest races are still eight to 10 points apart, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, a great book. If you want to follow up that very angry, sad book, um, David Daly wrote sort of the um sequel to that, which is how Americans and voters fought back against the 2011 gerrymanders. So there's also a story about Ohio in there about our reform measures. Um, So again, if I can't say it enough, I'll say, yes, there is power in what we do. We were Mm -hmm. able to completely overhaul how our redistricting process worked and that we are in almost April of 2022 and we don't have unconstitutional maps in effect is because Ohioans went to the ballot and demanded those reforms be in place that we have we're winning at this point i don't know ultimately how this will shake out but at this point we're winning and um that's because the power of the people is inherently strong and we went to the ballot and we changed what our redistricting process looked like Mm -hmm. um so those are two good reads if you want to read them um, about redistricting specifically, but, uh, yeah, I love it. Katie Shanahan. Thank you so much for being here. That was so informative. I learned so much Mm -hmm. and I love learning and I hope everyone at home learned as well. Uh, Katie, anything that you would like to plug, are you going to be presenting anywhere or obviously your Twitter is just Katie a Shanahan. Um, and anything else? You can follow me. Twitter is the best place to keep up to date about how things are shifting. I will say that the fight for fair maps is not yet done. Uh, We've suffered some bad setbacks in the last couple of days, but um, our dedication to this work is unwavering and we will be here until we win for democracy. So I appreciate the chance to 
talk about all things redistricting um, and either yeah. and throw in some stuff on passenger rail and why that's so important too. <laughs> um, always good to bring those two things together. Um, but uh, a huge thanks to you all for having me on. Absolutely. I can't think of passenger rail without the uh, Simpsons episode about the monorail. monorail. Oh, sure. <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. John Kasich tried to kill that episode. <laughs> Is that right? That's right. <laughs> thank you all so much for listening. We hope you're doing well out there. And uh, yeah, stay active. Don't let these bastards beat you down. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll just keep on doing the best we can. And, all right, everyone, hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.